Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. You are listening to our weekly class, Navigate and Master the Prayer Book, with Rabbi Cantor Hilary Chorney. This class is all about participating in services. It is not, I know you've heard this before, that it's not about learning to be a chazan or learning to be a shaliach tzibor. It's not learning how to lead the service, not in this particular class. It is also not a lecture series on the history of how our sidor came to be, the history of each of the pieces of the liturgy or deep dives into them and into their texts. If you're looking for that, you can find in our podcast series, either on the website or on your favorite podcast app, Rabbi Avi Havivi's teachings every Tuesday morning, which do exactly that. They go deep into each of the different texts in the Sidor, and he goes slow. This, however, is a class on navigating weekday services. The idea is to arm you so that when you're a participant in services, you feel that you have ownership over the liturgy, that you know where you're located in the liturgy, and that you can do that based on the outline of the liturgy that you know, either because the prayer skeleton that I designed is in front of you, or because you've gotten to know that structure so well that you get the rhythms themselves, and also through other context clues like the music of the service. That's the idea behind this class, is to really get to know navigating it. So a lot of what we do so far in this weekday class is to orient you to the weekday service vis-a-vis what you might be familiar with, with the Shabbat service. Maybe you're more familiar with the weekday service than the Shabbat service, but then that's still interesting, I guess, for you for the Shabbat morning service, because then you're learning by comparison anyway. But the idea is to get to know services from start to finish. And I, I want to familiarize you with those services, starting with Birkota Shachar and Pesuke de Zimra, and we're working our way through Shacharit as well. That's about as far as we've gotten, is just past the Shema. But we're going to do a review of that now so that all of us can pull that information together and we can be on the same page when it comes to where we're located, where we're oriented in the service. So let's back up to where we've been in Birkota Shachar, in Pesuke de Zimra, and in Shacharit. Before we do that, I just want to review those terms a little bit. Birkota Shachar are the blessings of the dawn, those morning blessings that could be said either at home or in a synagogue setting. They're the first blessings that are found in the morning liturgy section of a prayer book. They are nearly identical on weekdays and on Shabbat. There is almost no liturgical differentiation between weekdays and Shabbat. Can anybody here name for me, before we look at that outline, that skeleton of the service, can anyone name for me one meaningful difference between Birkot HaShachar on a weekday and Birkot HaShachar on Shabbat? Can anyone think of a way in which those two services are different from one another? A piece of liturgy that's found perhaps on Shabbat that's not found on a weekday? I'll give you a hint. Some would say that this change is actually found at the beginning of Pesuke de Zimra, but I would argue that Pesuke de Zimra doesn't start until Baruch Sha'amar. We went over this a little bit last class. So it does come before that. And I would argue that it's a, a difference, if not the only difference, between Birkot Shachar on weekdays and on Shabbat. I don't know the answer to that, but I wanted to say that it's a difference in, in the music. Great, Annie. Such a great point. Fantastic. That was going to be my next point is since it's so not different, how do we tell the difference between them, which is the music? That is why I argue so vociferously as a chazan for people to get the nusach right, which is tricky, getting it right on Birkota Shachar versus weekdays, because there's a substantial difference between the nusach on weekdays and the nusach on Shabbat and festivals, and it's pretty special for Shabbat and festivals, but it's so important that it be different so that it feels different on different days. So when you're walking in early to synagogue on a Tuesday, it feels different than a Saturday. The one difference I can think of is just before Baruch Amar, we get psalms 
that happen right before we have Psalm 30 and then Mourner's Kaddish and then Baruch She'amar. So it depends which Sidor you're in, where exactly this falls. But if you're looking in the weekday Sidor, then I'm talking about where you land on page 14, whether it's Shabbat or whether it's a weekday, we always wind up at Psalm 30 being the psalm that we do to open ourselves up to Mourner's Kaddish. Before that, if it's Shabbat or a festival, we'll add the psalm for Shabbat. That's it. That's the only difference. And you might even argue back at me, Canner Chorney, that's not a difference. <laughs> the thing is, you do one of the acceptable places to do the psalm for the day of the week is right there. And on Shabbat, the psalm for the day of the week is the psalm for Shabbat, right? Psalm 92, the one that ends in Sadiq Katamar. So that's the only difference. Otherwise, Annie's right. Music is all we've got to differentiate between Birkota Shachar on a weekday and on a Shabbat. Look at how much you can encompass even without looking at an outline. They're kind of the same as each other. They begin with blessings standing up and then a few more pages of reciting liturgy, followed by a little bit of Torah study and some Kaddishes. Let's look at that on the prayer skeleton together. Hang on. Can I open that up for us? Share the screen. So when we begin in the morning, we start with our rise from sleep with recitation of Moda'ani or Moda'ani. We enter the prayer space. We acknowledge it, sometimes with Matovu. And then we have Birkoda Shachar. That's what we just went over. Right? We do some Torah study, the principles of Rabbi Ishmael. Two Kaddishes. Somebody remind me, why are they in red on our outline, on our skeleton? Enough for a minion. Yes, exactly. Way to go, Ed. You got to have a minion to do them. And in our community, we have committed to only doing Mourner's Kaddish when we don't have a minion physically gathered in person, but we skip Kaddish to Rabbanan. So if you were to join us at 730 tomorrow morning for daily minion, you would not find us doing this Kaddish to Rabbanan, the special Kaddish for the rabbis. You would only find us doing this Mourner's Kaddish. This is all review of previous classes, but I want us to have some firm grounding before we get deep into Shachrit again today. Pesuke to Zimra, again, the verses of Psalm. We begin with Baruch Sha'amar, which covers two of the three categories that we always go over in this class. All prayer is made up of three categories. It is made up of blessings, poems, and quotes from biblical texts. Sometimes prayers cover more than one of those categories, but that's it. Those are the only three categories of things you'll find in our liturgy. And Baruch Shamar is both a poem. It's lovely. It's kind of laid out as a poem in the Sidor. If you look on page 16, you could see that. We're going to look in the Sidor on the screen share in just a minute. And it also ends with a blessing, with a bless. And how do you know it's a blessing? What makes it, what, what do I mean categorically and technically when I say a blessing? It invokes the name of God and non-gendered version of Great. You need Shem and Malchut, or to say it very nicely in English as Jackie did, you need Baruch Atah Adoshem. You need the name of God. Elokeinu Melech HaOlam, the acknowledging the sovereignty of the of the ruler of the universe, right? So it it actually has a formula to it. Baruch Atadoshem, Elokeinu Melech HaOlam. Sometimes we add Asher Kiddushan Mitzvotavitzivanu. That sometimes appears in our Sidor, more often appears in our active, non-prayer-based blessings, right? All blessings are prayers. Not all prayers are blessings. All blessings are prayers. Not all prayers are blessings. Some prayers are poems, and some prayers are biblical quotes, and some overlap in categories. That's it. You have to keep saying it and wrapping your head around it to get it. But once you get it, you get it. I promise. Some of you have already gotten it. So Baruch Shemar is not a biblical quote, but it does end with a blessing and it is a poem. Once we open with Baruch Shemar on a weekday, we have some psalms that we read. Those psalms include a recitation of Ashrei, which is actually a separate 
rabbinic idea, command, for us to recite multiple times in a day. And then we go to Psalm 150. Why do we go to Psalm 150? Because we are doing what with that psalm? That psalm is doing, it's functioning as something for us. What's Psalm 150 doing? Why 150 out of all the psalms? Why do we end with that? This is the last one. Great. Good job, Annie. It's like, it's like book club closing, you know, saying we've, we've finished, we finished the last one in the series, right? So every day we finish the last psalm of the book of psalms. That's a biblical quote, by the way. Oh, it's also a poem, right? So it falls into two categories. And then we do another biblical quote that's a poem, which is a song of the sea. And when we finish that, what we looked at last week is the transition from Pesuke to Zimra into Shachrit. Two things happen at that transition point that didn't happen before when we transitioned from Birkota Shachar to Pesuke to Zimra. What is the same from Birkota Shachar to Pesuke to Zimra? Even though they're two separate sets of services, really, what stays the same between those two services? Does the leader stay the same? Great. That, wait, so we say that again? Was that Dan? Yeah, the leader stays the same. Great. The leader stays the same, the person leading. And then Ed, did you have something as well? Uh, it was the same thing. Great. So Baruch Shakivanta, right? You had the same idea and you were also correct. And there's one other thing that stays the same besides the person leading. The music, the notes, the, yeah. Great. The new sach stays the same. There's no new sach change between them. Great. So we keep the same music. We keep the same leader. So there's quite a different kind of transition that happens here at Shachri. By the way, the same thing is true in sh during Shabbat services, right? Shabbat services have the same function going on. They have the same leader between Birkota Shachar and Pesuke de Zimra, same Nusach, Birkota Shachar, Pesuke de Zimra, and then switch at Shachri. Last week, we spent a substantial amount of time thinking about how actually miniature the beginning of Shacharit itself is on a weekday. Weekday Shacharit is a deep dive right in. On Shabbat, it takes us quite a bit to get from Shiratayam all the way to Yishtabach. We've got some poetry in there, substantial poetry. On a weekday, though, not the case. We go from the end of Shiratayam, a tiny little paragraph, and then into Yishtabach. And we're at new Nusach, new music, and a new leader. And then again, Chatzik, Kaddish, and Baruch Why are they highlighted in red? Minion. Great, Minion. We need a Minion for those two items, which means, again, if you were to join our daily Minion tomorrow morning online only, you would find us going right from the Yishtabach paragraph at the top of page 29. We'll look at the Sidor together in a moment. When we get to the end of that paragraph, which also gets an amen, by the way. Your job at the end of that paragraph is to say amen if you haven't been saying it yourself. And we say amen. And then we would skip the Chatzikadish and the Baruchu if we didn't have a minion with us. And then we go to Yotzer Or, which is a short blessing. And then we get the structure. And this structure is the same structure for Shacharit and for Mariv on weekdays and on Shabbats and on festivals for for everything. It's the same exact structure for both of those services. The only difference, as I pointed out last time, is that there is one additional prayer added in the evening time, always Hashki Venu, which is a prayer that's added to invoke sort of guardianship, the guardianship aspect of God as the one who provides Sukkot Shlomecha, the shelter of your peace, because nighttime's scary. But it's pretty, pretty much otherwise a mirror image of this structure. And what is this structure? One blessing about light, one blessing about love, the Shema itself, and then blessing number three, which is about redemption. What is that blessing number three about redemption? What does it always contain? I'll give you a hint. It's always a little bit of poetry and biblical quote. Right before Ga'al Yisrael, you can peek on that page if you want to, if you have a Sidor in front of you. I'll give you another hint. It's an exact quote out of Shiratayam. So we already said it earlier in the morning. Take a look at the middle of page 35. 
Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai, mi chamocha nedar ba'kodesh, noratehilot osefele. Who is like you, God, among the gods. This is great theology, by the way. You notice this? Mi chamocha ba'elim Adonai. Who is like you among the gods, plural, God. Yikes, right? But biblical theology is full of that. Our biblical canon is full of depictions of not that our God is just the only God, but that our God is the superior and God containing all oneness of gods and the God that won out potentially over celestial battles. There's all sorts of, if you're interested in reading about that, I'm happy to share more on that topic. It's pretty fascinating. We always get that quote, but there's a little difference here. This one I'm slipping in just because I know some people are really familiar with the liturgy. And so I want to give you something to chew on if this is already familiar territory for you. Notice that after Mocha, the liturgy here is different in the morning than it is in the evening. It's not about Shabbat versus weekday. It's about morning versus evening. In the morning time, we say, Shira chadasha shibchu geulim leshimcha al svatayam. And a new, a new song was sung there at the svatayam. Yachad kulam hoduvihin luchu ve'amru. In the evening time, we get something totally different. We get malchutecha ra'uvanecha bokeayam lifne moshe ze'eli anu ve'amru. So when we get to evening services, we'll study the difference between those two. But I want you to notice that subtle difference between those two, if that's interesting to you, that there is a a total parallel of structures when it comes to that morning and evening service. But there are these subtle changes in the paragraphs of the liturgy themselves that are done to reflect the themes of what's happening around in the service. In particular, the trend is when it comes to Mariv, per- the protectorate nature of God. Any questions up until this? No? Not one? Okay, I'm pretty excited to look at the Amidah together. This has been what I've been gearing up towards for a long time because the weekday Amidah is, it's, it's good stuff. We have to look at it on the skeleton first for you to get an idea. And then we're going to look into the sea door. Okay. So five minutes on this, and then we'll be in the Siddur together. The Amidah. Somebody tell me, what's the deal? Some of you were in my other classes. Some of you tell me, what's the deal with Amidah at the beginning and at the end? What's the story? What is always It's the always the, the first few um, paragraphs or blessings and the last few. Great. Denise, do you remember how, how many? Um, I can count in my head real quick, but it's like, like maybe four or five or so, six, okay. so somewhere it, in there, less than 10. It's less than 10. You got it. Yeah. We have, we have fewer, fewer than 10 blessings that are repeated every time. Every time we do the Amidah, the first three blessings and the last three blessings remain constant. It doesn't matter if it's Yom Kippur or it's just, again, a random Tuesday. Those remain constant. Okay. So what matters, though, is the major difference between an Amidah on a weekday and an Amidah on Shabbat. So we're going to talk about this for a minute. Let me turn off my screen share. Great. Okay. Thematically speaking, what's the difference between a, an Amidah on Shabbat and an Amidah on a weekday. Annie, what's the difference? Don't we, we don't ask for things on Shabbat. For the most part, we refrain from requesting things on Shabbat. Almost entirely. Right? We, we refrain from asking for things on Shabbat. What, what we do do is sort of reinforce God's role in bringing peace down on earth, which maybe please means bring peace, right? So seem shalom. Put peace, literally, like command. Sim shalom, tova uvracha, goodness and blessing. Chaim That's asking actually for a lot of things. So it would be kind of a cheat for us to say we don't ask for anything. So I want to be careful and say it's not that we don't ask for anything, 
but we almost don't ask for anything. And for the most part, short of prayers for healing, for refuah, for for healing of body and spirit, short of that, we don't ask for individual stuff in particular. Right? On us and all your people, Israel. That's kosher on, on Shabbat, but we skip the middle, which, oh, hello, cat, um, which we, um, we, thank you for knocking things over my class. Great. So we skip there. There's almost no way to think about these two Amidahs, the weekday Amidah and the Shabbat Amidah, not comparatively, unless you just kind of forgo the Shabbat Amidah altogether. But I think what you're familiar with is the Shabbat Amidah structure. It makes the most sense to think about it comparatively. The first thing that I'm going to share here is there is almost no difference between the Amidah any single evening, morning, or afternoon service on a weekday. It doesn't change from Mariv to Shacharit to Mincha, right? From evening service to morning to Mincha. There are three Amidahs said every day, every Jewish day starting at sundown on Saturday night, and there is almost no difference between them. First of all, what are the exceptions when it's a weekday, when it's not Shabbat and it's not a Yom Tov, like it's not a festival? When else would we have an extra? Why would we have more than three Amidahs? Um, um, when there's a new month. Great, Denise, that's a great example. On Rosh Chodesh, even if it's a Thursday, we add Musaf. There's a Musaf for weekdays for Rosh Chodesh. So we add that to our service. Musaf contains an Amidah. Every service that's a service contains an Amidah. Kabbalah Shabbat is a cheater. That is not a service. There's no Amidah in it. It's just a warm-up. It's a great warm-up, but it's a warm-up. So most weekdays, we're going to wind up with three Amidahs, evening, morning, and afternoon. The exceptions that happen that are different between the evening, the morning, and the afternoon happen either at transitional moments. Those are rare, meaning liminal moments on our calendar. I'll point out when those are. And when special days coincide with weekdays, but don't override with a festival of any kind. So those include, like an inserted liturgy in the weekday Amidah includes things like Hanukkah, Purim, right? These have insertions in the weekday Amidah for for these particular holidays. They don't have their whole own Amidah, nor do they take the Amidah and say, oh, we don't ask God for anything on Hanukkah or Purim. No way. We ask God for plenty. They have the normal weekday Amidah, but we have insertions for those special occasions. But it's like 99% the same over and over again. The exception going back to the transitions is that in the first paragraph that we're about to look at when we look at the weekday door together, in the first paragraph following the Kedusha, which is the last of those first set of blessings that are the same in every single Amidah, that first paragraph, Atahonen la dam da'at, that God grants to humankind different types of wisdom, which we'll look at together today. I'm so excited for this. There is a disruption in that prayer and an insertion when we do it at Havdalah, because we insert there a Havdalah in the liturgy. I'm only mentioning it now, not to confuse, but just to say the one exception really to the regular liturgy is in that first paragraph, right, that we're going to look at together. Okay, so let's look at the Amidah together. I'm really excited to see it. Here we go. I'm going to screen share it. Any questions while I'm opening up the screen share on that, on the rhythm of weekday Amidahs, on exceptions, other days when we have exceptions? Any thoughts? At what point did you say the Hashkivenu comes in during the evening services? Great question. The Hashkivenu comes in following 
Ga'al Yisrael. And actually, that's a great transitional thought for us because what I was about to point out as we're pulling up this uh, weekday service together, what I was about to point out to you is that at Shacharit, when we are doing a full repetition of the Shacharit Amidah, which is to say that when we finish Ga'al Yisrael as a blessing, we go into a whispered private recitation of the Amidah, followed by an out loud repetition led by the person who is designated as the leader of the service, that we go directly from that liturgy, Ga'al Yisrael, we go right from that liturgy into the Amidah. In the evening time, we go from Ga'al Yisrael to Hashki Venu, and then to a Chatzi Kaddish. Because in the morning time, we try to join that idea of Geulah, of the redemption at the end of that last paragraph, right into the Amidah. We try not to disrupt it, even with an Amen, if we can. So we go right into the Amidah. That's why you might hear prayer leaders at the end of that paragraph, after Micha Mocha, leading into Gal Yisrael, doing the following. Baruch Adonai They're attempting not to evoke an Amen, such that it wouldn't interrupt. There are dissenting opinions about the Amen being a disruption, one of them belonging to Rabbi Joel Rembaum. So if you'd like to have a rabbi teach you beautifully about this, Rabbi Rembaum is our Rabbi Emeritus at, at Temple Beth Am, and he writes beautifully on this topic. So if you want to hear someone talk about it, or maybe I'll bring him in as a guest at some point, uh, he speaks really beautifully about this idea of whether that Amen is disruptive or not. You have to really love liturgy to want to get into that, right? To write a whole paper about that. It's very exciting. So he and I have that in common. So we finish Ga'al Yisrael and go right into the Amidah. And that's the page that I want to be open to when I screen share this with. Hang on. What an adventure. Okay. Okay. Here we go. All right. So the Micha Mocha is right here. You see it on page 35. Here's our Micha Mocha. We go right into that Shira Hadasha. That's how we know it's Shacharit and not Mahariv. And then Adonaim Lochle Olam Ba'ed. Right here at the Tzor Yisrael, you'll see people begin the choreography of rising in anticipation of the Shacharit Amidah. When should you do it? How do they know to rise? Is it magic? Not really. It doesn't really matter. You, some people like to rise at Micha Mocha. Some people like to rise at Shira Hadasha. I'm a big fan of rising at Sur Yisrael, Kuma Be'ezrat Yisrael. I think that's great. And then when you finish Baruch Atah Adonai Ga'al Yisrael, we go directly into the whispered private Amidah. Any questions about that idea? We're not going to get into today the idea of what would we do if there was a Hechi Kedusha? Like what if we started the Amidah together and then went quiet? We're not going to do that today. We're going to come back to that idea once we're done with the whole Amidah. Deal? <laughs> that, that, I think, confounds and confuses. So we'll stop there. Al Yisrael. And we go into the whispered private Amidah. In the private recitation zone, we back up three steps. We go forward three steps and bring them together. And we bow. There are three full body bows in the whispered private Amidah. If you are not the person leading the service, those are the only choreographic pieces that you need to be concerned with because during the repetition of the Amidah, and this is a critical point that I think is not taught often enough, there is no bowing for the, there's no full bow, there's no full body knees bowing for, for any, for any participant other than the leader. No one besides the leader is bowing at these first words, for example. Baruch Atah Adoshem Elokeinu Velokei Avoteinu. The leader is bowing there. You're standing. If we're back now, we're at the repetition of the Amidah. I know I'm skipping around in my example, my idea, but skipping to the idea that we're doing a repetition of the Amidah, not just the quiet Amidah. Out loud, you're only responsible to a half bow about a page and a half before the end of the Amidah, and for having feet together and standing during the kedusha. But you're otherwise not responsible for these other bows that happen. 
So you got to know about these bows, these choreographed bows in the whispered private recitation, because that's when you do them. Does that make sense? If you're not the prayer leader, when do you do your bowing? You do it when you do your own private Amidah. So in your own private Amidah, again, there are three full bows where you bend your knees, go bent over halfway, and then come up standing when we reach God's name. Two of those three times are on this page. The third time we're not even going to get to today, okay? But I'll show you where we are when we get to them. In our whispered private Amidah, we're not going to get deeply into this choreography piece, but rather just kind of look at the whole Amidah for a whispered private Amidah moment together. During this whispered private Amidah, this is a piece of the liturgy that if you are approaching the liturgy as a body of language that you want to fulfill your having said it completely, or to say it rabbinically, to be yotze, to go out of your your obligation, your obligation to recite this liturgy. If you want to do that, there are really two ways of doing that in your private recitation. One is to say every word in Hebrew, and the other is to say every word in English. I want to deeply encourage you, and this is kind of going off the derech, off of the path of how this class usually goes. I want to deeply encourage you to try out an important practice. There is a balance that needs to happen in prayer between the fixed liturgy and the intentionality that we bring to that prayer. The fixed liturgy, the keva stuff, the fixed body of liturgy is what we're looking at on the page. The kavanah, the intentionality, is what you bring to it. For most people who are working on the recitation of their Amidah being sharper, we're trying to sharpen that recitation, it is nearly impossible to work on the skill of mastering it, even to say it for yourself, let alone to lead it for other people, while also keeping in mind a full intentionality about the meaning of the words in that paragraph, unless you're really, really deft with the Hebrew. I don't think anyone who's in the class right now, but it's possible somebody listening is in this category. If you're fluent in Hebrew, it's possible that as you dive in this Amidah, you may come to great intentionality just by getting these words on your lips. I know that took me an enormous amount of work. So until you get there, until you get to the point where you can marry in your in your recitation of the prayer, both your ability to say quickly, quickly, because we'll talk about that in a minute, kind of like matching up with the time frame that the congregation is doing it in, to quickly say, Baruch and also be cognizant of this idea of, wow, I'm calling upon God and the zikhut, the merit of my ancestors. Where do I fall in that chain? God is, God is zocher chaste avot, the rememberer of the good deeds of our ancestors, and the one who's going to bring a redeemer to the children of their children. Like God's remembering me and the chain of my ancestry. Until you can both quickly recite these words and also bring that intentionality even once to that page, which is like kung fu, let's face it, to be led to both to do both those things at the same time. I want to suggest a practice to you, which is a practice in marginalia. Take your book, and in these giant wide margins that exist in your book, either writing in or post-it noting in, I want to recommend to you, I want to commend the idea of, of writing in or drawing in themes in that paragraph that speak to you. Somech nofalim verofecholim umatir asurim. Maybe the idea of Matirasurim, freeing the bound, is one of the themes I want to pop out and come out at me as I'm ref- as I'm reciting those words. Anybody want to respond to that idea or talk to me about anything that they've tried along these lines before we actually talk about this whole thing as it's done out loud? So, so this is a sticking point for me actually because I, as we know, I live with a 
really proficient davener. And in his Amidah, he, 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 he blows through it. And I always want to ask him, but I never have, do you actually read every single word? Because I feel like that's a really obnoxious question, but I'm kind of armed now to ask that question. <laughs> and not in a competitive way, but in a, like, because I'm, I, I can't get, I can't, there's no way I can read every word and it's really intimidating. And now you're also armed, Annie, with this idea that for those who take seriously the idea of saying every single word and davening in praying their, their fixed worship liturgy, there are different categories of prayer here that are held to different standards. I, for example, as I pointed out in last week's class, pay very close attention to the concept of a minimalist basuke de Zimra, because I think it's really helpful to know that rabbis imagine Jews being late to services because they knew. <laughs> I mean, they knew themselves. And so there's this idea of, of a truncated basuke de Zimra that's really meant to be, you know, after the fact, but you can like up priori, you can you can before the fact justify doing it if you know you're not going to have enough time. And for the Amidah, it's a different category. It's a category of ideally you're saying almost every single word. There's a bit of a there's a bit of a catching place here, which is to say that as we get to the hamburger meat, as we're about to, of the middle blessings of it, some would say that everything but the chatima, the very closing line of it, Baruch Adonai, Honenadat, or whatever the, the closing line is, right? Of the of each of these um of each of these of the 13 interim blessings. I'm going to scroll, don't get dizzy, to the first blessings. That only when you get to this line are we in the category of you must see these words in order to have fulfilled your obligation and therefore you've done it, right? And that everything before that is in a category of poetry, so to speak, or reshut, or free for all, or you could say whatever it is that's on your mind in there. They get away with that by actually peeking ahead to this concept here in the Rifa Enu paragraph in the in the heal us God and we shall be healed. And then there's a whole insertion here where you can pray kind of spontaneously somewhat for somebody who's ill in your life. So the idea here is that there is a malleable quality to the middle of the Amidah. But in a counter argument to someone who might give me that argument, I would say, then the most likely thing is that your Amidah is going to be longer, not shorter. Because if you're really going to say that you're going to pray your own stuff before you get to each of the signature lines here, then you're probably adding content, right? I'm, I'm, I'm picturing somebody who out of great piety might approach each of these paragraphs with creativity. But then I think you're going to wind up with a longer, not a shorter Amidah. So the real question is twofold, I think. Number one, are you really able to get every word on your lips that quickly? Number two, as you're saying them, is any percentage of the meaning of that liturgy hitting your heart or your brain? And number three, and this is where it requires both the asker and the recipient to be open to the exchange. Does that bother you, even if it doesn't? Does it bother you even if you can't actually digest it, right? Like watching somebody who eats just for nourishment, which that's a concept I definitely don't understand. But watching somebody <laughs> consume food that's literally just for for the calories. If they've got an an ivy drip and they can't even taste it on their tongue. But does it bother them? Because maybe the idea of the ritual of the formula is enough. Like I'm, I'm open to that idea. And still yet, I'm encouraging you to practice liturgical strategy that would allow you to have more than that. Because I think that for most people, they're looking for more than that, though I'm open to being, you know, to learning otherwise, to learning that most people actually really enjoy the sort of catharsis of having completed the incantation. It's tough. It's like, how much of this is you and how much of this is that other person? This is one of these sticking points of, you know, until until you're as fast as other people, and then you're wondering, why are they so fast? How are they so fast? How are they getting through this liturgy? Maybe am I after something different than they're after? There are really, really good questions buried in there. Uh, let's look at the, the start of the Amidah. Let's imagine that um, let's imagine that we're looking at this 
individually first, and then we'll go back to it as a repetition. I'm deliberately turning to 36B, which includes the matriarch's names. Not everybody prays this individually. I'm putting this on a podcast, so I guess this is a big confession moment. I do not pray this page individually. When I pray the Amidah individually, I pray page A without Sarah, Rebecca, Leah, and Rachel's names in it. And it's not because I have anything against this liturgy. It's just that I have very few inherited traditions from my family, but there are some people in my family, generations past, who prayed the traditional liturgy, and I feel really bound up in the tradition of doing this paragraph as it was initially written. And I'm also torn by some halachic reasoning about whether or not we could play with the paragraph in the way that it's been played with here. But I know that there are some people who belong to our very congregation who are a part of publishing this liturgy and the Sidor. So I'm cognizant that a great deal of thought went into creating this version of the matriarchs, which is not the same as every version of the Amidad that includes the matriarchs. So as you see on the prayer skeleton, the first three sections of the Amidah, just as in every Amidah, are Avot, celebrating our ancestry, Givurot, celebrating God's saving nature, and then Kedusha, the sanctity of God. By the way, Givurot has this Tichiyatemi team aspect in it as well. The saving nature of God ends with this blessing, Baruchat Adonai, Mechayeh team, the one who brings life to the dead. That is an actual theology around the end days or next world and this idea that God would, there would be an ingathering of, of souls. Uh, when we pray this privately, there's no music. That's obvious, but I'm just saying that out loud. There's no nusach, right? You're just whispering it to yourself. And the bows happen here. Baruch Ata Adonai, that's where the first bow happens. Eloheinu Avotenu, etc., 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 right? Ha'el Hagadol Hagibor Vahanora Elel Yom Gomel Chasadim Tovim Vekoneha Kovizocher Chaste Avot Mevigo El Livne Venehem Leman Shemo Biahava. As I was translating out loud before, and as you can look at in the English page of the Sidor, God is a rememberer of the merits of our ancestors. And that's how we butter God up at the beginning of the Amidah. That's our beginning. You are going to ignore these two lines, which are for between Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah. Thank you, editors of the Sidor, for putting tiny, non-vowelized printed Hebrew on this side. Uh, but Zochreinu Lechaim Melcha Facebachaim only happens that one set of 10 days in between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Any of the weekdays in there, would we would add this liturgy, but don't add that any other day. And we go right to Melech Ozer Ufokedu Moshia Umagain. The second bow of the Amidah, the full bow, happens here. Baruch Ata Adonai Magain Avraham Ufoked Sarah. We're adding, right? That's the added language and God who also is the protector of Sarah. Then we enter Givurot. How do we know? What's our clue that we're entering Givurot? Ata. Ata Gibor. That's it. That's your clue. It shares the root. Gibor. That's the, it means hero in modern Hebrew, but God is the saver, savior. Ata Gibor, Leolam Adonai. You are an eternal saving force. Michayim Etim Ata. You are a bringer of life to the dead, or will be in that story, that you are. Rav Lehoshia. Great in your saving nature. And then, seasonally, including now, starting at Shemini Atzeret, it says right here, and all the way until Pesach in the springtime, we add Mashiv HaRuach Umorid HaGashem. And then, Michalkel Chaim Bechesed Mechayemitim Barachamim Rabim. So this is going to be, you know, you give great things to the living, and you're going to mercifully give life to the Dead in this scenario. So mech nofalim holim, you lift the downfall and you heal the ill, matiras, you bring you free the bound, do mekayim emunatoli shene afar. I love that phrase. You keep your emunah, your faith, with the ones who are sleepers in the dust. Micha mocha, ah, familiar phrase, micha mocha. It was lifted from the poetry of Shiratayam. Who is like you? Baal Givurot, master of saving things, Umi Domelach, and who is anything like you, who's compar- c- comparable to you, comparable, comparable to you, Melech, king, 
Memit umechaye umatsmiach Yeshua. God, who is the master of, of life and death and of um, salvation. We ignore this line right here that says, again, just between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. You all see that? Ignore that line. It's in small font. I know it's confusing because look, this small font I told you to include at a certain time of the year. But the small font we do not include because it's just that one day a year or well, the one period of days a year. And that's the closing of the of the section on Givurot, which closes with a chatima with a blessing, right? With a bracha, this full formulaic bracha. This is a really wonderful moment in teaching that I love every time I get to it, in case you've never been taught this before. So I'm very excited to teach this to you. When you are reciting the Amidah privately, whether that's because we are all alone together in our homes during COVID, or whether you're just practicing praying privately on your own, it's not that you skip doing Kedusha. As we said before, Kedusha itself requires a minion, the full Kedusha, but rather that there's a miniature Kedusha that's recited by the individual and by the individual only. If we were in the repetition of the Amidah, you would notice, see, when the Amidah is chanted out loud, we continue on page 37. Why? Because that's where the full Kedusha that's said in a minion is said. But if you're praying privately, all you say as the Kedusha are these two lines. Ata Kadosh, Vashimcha Kadosh, you are holy and your name is holy. Ukadoshim Bechol Yom Yehalalucha Salah. And the holy ones on every day shall praise you forever. Baruch Adonai Ha'el HaKadosh. Blessed are you, Adonai, the God who is the Holy One. That's Kedusha. So it's not that we skip Kedusha when we're not in a Minyan. It's that we do Kedusha privately and it's super short. And then the silent recitation continues on page 38. You see that? So if we're doing a silent recitation, you look at this next page and you skip it. We do not do this when we are reciting privately. We skip over that page. You are now masters of the Amidah and you know that you have a Kedusha to do, but it's a short Kedusha and you're skipping the group Kedusha because you're not doing it because now it's time to get to the good stuff. Okay, this is the great innards of the 13 blessings that make up the center of the weekday Amidah. We're going to spend about 10 or so minutes on this now, getting few through a few of these. And then I'll stop for questions. We'll stop at 6.15. And it's probably going to take us through at least another class for us to finish all of these blessings and get to the end. But we're going to start with the first one. Notice here that there's no asterisk telling you that this first blessing might be modified if it were Havdalah. Why is that? I just gave you this whole lecture about how it might be modified if it was at Havdalah time. You don't, you don't really do Havdalah in the morning. And if you do, you don't add it into your Amidah. That was perfectly phrased because you don't really do Havdalah in the morning. And if you've had to wait to do Havdalah, you don't do it in your Amidah in the morning. Right, exactly. It belongs to the evening liturgy if it happens. We'll get there when we get there. But for now, we're looking at Shachrit. Okay. This is a blessing about God being a grantor, a grantor of wisdom. And what we're going to come across in all of these different blessings is a lot of this phrase that I used before with you, which is tik bullet, or in modern poetry, we call it parallelism. So it's a lot of saying the same things twice, just using different language. Can I give you an example? Ata chonen, you grant with Chonen. Does anyone see buried in this word a familiar word? Uh, is it like Chanun, like Chanun Barachum? Yes. And what is Chanun? What is Chanun? Something to do with kindness, but I don't know exactly the translation. That's great, Denise. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it means grace. And grace usually falls into the category of things that are unearned. Right? So God, you just graciously grant 
Okay, so it's a very specific kind of verb. Chain is the root that we're looking at here. Chain. Ata chonein, you graciously grant le'adam to human beings, da'at. And da'at is like de'a, right? Like a, a yodea, la da'at. Knowledge. Right. I- ideas, knowledge, wisdom. Umilamed. What is lilamed? Teach. Great. Umilamed. And you will teach le'enosh to, and enosh is just another word for like, if you're, that's the singular, that's the core of anashim, right? People, human, human beings. So it's just parallel. Umilamed le'enosh. And you will teach le'enosh to human beings. Bina. What's bina? It's, it's wisdom. Okay. And these two phrases are parallel to each other, except where they're not, because you can believe that they're two different things if you want to pick it apart. You graciously give to mankind the idea to conceptualize, and you teach human beings wisdom. So pshat, simple level looking at this. I mean, it's just poetry, right? It's just saying the same thing twice. But you might pick it apart and say, you know, God, God gives me the ability to to grasp concepts, but God teaches me through Torah, other people, the world, whatever. Your mind could be so expansive on this, right? Your heart could be expansive on this. God teaches me wisdom. Chonenu. What is chonenu as a form of verb? I want you to start to recognize this a little bit. Oh, it's plural. No? Chonenu is it's close to what you might think is plural, but I want you to think of the new as towards a not a la new. Yeah. So it's it's grant us, it's command, tsibui. Honenu mitcha from you. Dea bina vehaskel. Three different types of wisdom or knowledge. This class, again, is not about picking apart the liturgy super deeply. It's about beginning your journey, pulling apart this liturgy, pronouncing it, navigating it, and then learning ways when you could play play with this a little bit more. I can give you access to some really great resources on the origins of some of the language behind each of these paragraphs. But this entire paragraph here it sort of has two stages, right? God, you, you help people think. Grant us graciously from you these three different types of wisdom. So what's the first thing that you're asking from God? You're just asking for, I, I would say, discernment, right? Just, it's, it's really interestingly parallel to Birkota Shachar, where the first blessing of Birkot Shachar is Atan Baruch Atadusham Elokeinu Melech Olam Asher Natan Lasechvi Vina Levchim Ben Yom Ben Laila. So we start both Birkot Shachar and the beginning blessings of the Amidah just with this idea that we are granted the ability to think, to conceptualize, to be given wisdom, to grapple with the world. Uh Second paragraph. Are we ready? We're going to do probably two more. Hashivenu avinu latoratecha. Do you recognize the word hashivenu? Yeah, it's in the hashivenu prayer. Yes, in hashivenu, which is where? Oh, pop quiz. Where, where do we say hashivenu Adonai Elecha v'nashuva? Isn't it, is it, isn't it uh, Shabbat evening? Close. No. It is Shabbat. It's sh- I mean, we do do it on Shabbat. Not hashkivenu, but hashivenu. Oh, never mind. Torah service. Torah service. And it's a quote from the end of the book of Echa, by the way. So it's also a biblical quote, but this is not the biblical quote. I just just pointing out another biblical quote, which is, we have hashivenu Adonai elecha v'nashuva chadesha menu keketem, right? Return us God as in days of old and then renew our days as before. Hashivenu Avinu latoratecha, return us, is all I was pointing out, is that this is the same word, hashivenu. Again, a command, a demand, an ask. Return avinu, our parent, latoratecha. 
Hashivenu, return us, our parent, to your Torah. Vikaravenu, what's karov? Karov is close. Good. Vikaravenu is close, and it's also related to the word for offerings, right? A krova, this idea of, of a lahakriv to, to offer up a, a, like a sacrificial offering. So, Vikaravenu malkenu la vodatecha, and bring us close, our king, to your sacred work. Same form. Do you notice that? This du- this duplication of language. Duplication of language. Duplication of language again. Great. Okay. Then, uh, this is a double causative because this is a hefeol causative. Okay. And it's ha Chazirenu, what's lachzor? Return. Right. So leha chazirenu, vecha chazirenu is and cause us to return. Bichuva, that's a fun grammatical point, but I won't go into it. Bichuva, shlema, in full chuva, in full returningness. Lefanecha, before you. Baruch atadonai, blessed are you, God. Harotse bichuva, the one who desires in returning. So we are like crowning God with these blessings that are also the thing that we are asking of God with command language. And then we're crowning God as blessed are you, God, because you're a remember, God, you're a giver of wisdom. Right. And then here again, cause us to return and come back close to your Torah and offer avodat kodesh, like sacred work to you again. Or work of, of the sacred. Don't you want our return? Right? We're reminding God of God's name and active nature. One more. This one is a vidui found in our everyday, a confessional found in our everyday language, in our everyday liturgy. Salah lanu, forgive us, our father, kichatanu. Notice that both the previous and this paragraph contain an avinu malkenu clause. Hashivenu avinu, and then vikarvenu malkenu. Salachlanu avinu, michalanu malkenu. Kifashanu. So that our father, our sovereign is, our parent, our sovereign is really in there, in the rhythms. Forgive us, our parent, because we've sinned. Another word for forgive us, for us, our our sovereign because we have erred, we have made, they're just saying the same thing twice. Ki mochel v'soleach ata, because you are a pardoner and a forgiver, you are. Baruch Adonai, chanun, there's that word that you were talking about before, Denise. Chanun hamar lisloach, who is a, a, a gracious multiplier in their way of forgiving. A a, who is, ooh, it's hard to translate that directly. Gracious is the one who abundantly forgives. Gracious and forgiving. I like mine better. Okay, I'm going to pause here and stop the screen share. Those were three of the 13 middles. And that's where we're up to. Questions or ideas about the the entering of the weekday Amidah, about the rhythms daily, about the ideas that Annie and I went back and forth about, about kind of saying every word versus getting it. Do you believe me about my encouragement to kind of write in the margins? It really is satisfying. Right? Because I used to draw a light bulb next to the Atachonen Ladam Da'at paragraph. Just kind of get the juices flowing on those ideas. So I'm not going to think about it with every word. I do now because what else do I have to do? But when I first started davening this every day, I couldn't master both at the same time. So I wanted the inspiration. Jackie, did you have a thought? I just have a really, really basic question. Uh, you were going to the first, first page, so the first three brachot. Are they all in Hebrew as opposed to like some amount of Aramaic or it's all Hebrew? Great question. I do not think that there is any Aramaic content found there. The only thing that I would say that's like a real Rabbi Avi Havivi question is whether there's any content that I, as I look at this, am skipping over and is Aramaicized Hebrew in it that I'm not thinking of. But I don't think so. I think all of the content is Hebrew content. Good question. Denise. So before today, 
the beginning part about, you know, remembering the fathers and all that, it always felt really kind of stilted to me. Um, and today when you were talking about it, it's really more of a comment, but you were, you were talking about it. And I remembered this story that a friend of mine told me where he had borrowed his dad's expensive car um, without alerting his dad. Sorry, I muted myself. I'm not sure where. That's okay. I think you said he had borrowed his his dad's expensive car, and yes, and then he and then he crashed it, um, and so he had to call his dad and tell him what happened. And before he did, he said, "Dad, I want you to remember I'm your only son, and I want you to think about how much you love me and how proud I've made you over the years." And then, by the way, I just crashed your car. But and yes. not that we crash cars every day, but it sort of humanized the whole blessing to me in a way that I hadn't thought about it before. That's a that's a great mashal, a great parable, Denise. I really appreciate that. I think that's exactly what we're doing. We're basically humbling ourselves before God, but at the same time, we're really calling on all of our merits. Right? We're calling on our relationship because we don't necessarily come as our best selves every single day. We've made mistakes. So maybe not crashing cars every day, but we've made mistakes. Great. Steve. Just a, just a small point. I just was noticing as you're going through the paragraphs here, we, we ask and then we praise. We ask and then. We- uh, yeah, that, that's exactly right, Steve. It's kind of this rhythm of, of needing to end every paragraph with some sort of, of blessing content both as kind of a seal to say, oh, we're done with that paragraph. But also, I think you're right to keep coming back to this idea of baruch, of praise, of saying, we really need this from you because you're great at this. Yeah. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you in this class. You can always catch up if you miss one on the podcast, but it's a great joy to actually have you here in person. Uh, Appreciate the participation. And I look forward to the next time that we're together to learn. I'll see you all soon. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.